0: Listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by the Envision Advisors at Your Castle Real Estate. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, and we have another Ask the Investor episode with myself and Jenny Bayless. Today we're gonna be talking about talking with a house hacker on how to plan on purchasing house hack number three, and we'll loop in some strategy here. Is it best to save? Is it best to sell an out rental property, or is it best to dip into and repurpose the Roth IRA funds? So, great discussion here. And my co-host is Jenny. And as a forewarning, Jenny's losing his voice, so <laughs> Jenny is waving. <laughs> She'll be talking some, but we'll, we'll keep you on light duty, Jenny. Thanks. <laughs> um, but our investor in the hot seat is our very own Ben Einspar. And I think most of our listeners know who you are, Ben, but if you don't, Ben is an active house hacker here in Denver, owns uh, some properties out of state. And also as a couple of months ago, he made a huge career transition of going from his uh, W-2 job, not real estate, over to working as the house hacking specialist at Envision Advisors, uh, which is just a great another resource for our clients here uh, at Envision Advisors. And one last thing with that career change, that does change lending options. So we'll be about that too. Ben, how are you? Excellent,
1: Chris. Great introduction. You it's, like that one? I, I love it. All that right. was awesome. And it's good to be on the other side. I'm not hosting the masterminds podcast.
0: Yeah. So um, let's jump into this. I know you're playing on house hack number three, but there are really three things before we say, Hey, how do you buy house hack three? We have to back it up, get a 10,000 foot level view. And really, you know, it's understanding market conditions it's understanding your current portfolio and also understanding your basically your current personal financial situation as well. Market, we don't need to uh, drill down about that, but portfolio and your personal situation we do. So let's start with your portfolio. Portfolio.
1: So on a high on a high level, I have three rental properties right now that consist of about four doors. First property is an out-of-state rental that I'll call an accidental landlord um, in Omaha, Nebraska. I bought it in late 2016 and I have about $85,000 in equity, which has been really great. But however, wait, if, when did you buy it? Late 2016. Well, okay. So if you look at this property on a profit and loss statement based just cash flow from rent versus mortgage, PITI, and expenses, I'm losing money. But we've, I've, then we've been very lucky with appreciation. I'm gaining on it. So I want to hold that as long as possible. But those issues
0: aren't just from paying the bills. You've had a lot of like capex maintenance, right? That's part of it. Like a roof. lot You're of roof, fence, some water damage. Roof, water, fence. Yeah. Uh, yeah, here and there, which is which is expected with being a, a landlord. But it all just happened at once, which uh, eats in the cash the, flow. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to mention that too, because it's not just, that's been a big part. If that didn't happen, would it be negative cash flowing? mm hmm Okay. No, not at all. What would it, it would cash flow 100, uh, 500 bucks, 1,000 bucks, just a ballpark. A
1: month? Yeah, or a year. 200, 200 bucks okay. a month. I mean, I, I have my <clears throat> my rent about 100 bucks below mark, no, I'll say about 150 below market value because I have good tenants in there and good tenants make a good rental property and they've been in there for four years. Okay. So I really work with them and it eliminates having to deal with a turnover from out of state, yeah. which
0: I do the property management I don't want to deal with the turnover. And those are, I mean, vacancies kill NOI. And I have never turned a property out of state, but I imagine (laughs) it's not the easiest thing to do. You have to get creative. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you got that property. Now, I think the rest are your properties here in Denver. Correct. Correct.
1: The first house hack closed in April of 2019. It is a four bedroom, three bath house with a mother-in-law suite. The mother-in-law suite I'm currently renting out. It was an Airbnb when you live there. I'm renting out as a medium term rental to traveling nurses. And the main level is on a 24 month lease. And I'm about halfway through to a nice family that is flexible. And I was upfront with them when, when vetting them and letting them know, hey, we're going to have a some people, some turnovers in the mother-in-law and they were completely cool with it. So it, it made a great win-win cool. and Denver market's excellent. So I have some, I have excellent appreciation in that property as well. And you said you're conservatively about 175. Yes. Okay. Um, house deck number two. Current primary residence right now, new build townhome in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Um, with a little income suite on the first level that my wife and I are <clears throat> operating as an Airbnb. Great Airbnb, makes it perfect. And again, with the great market conditions, I'm seeing great uh, great equity in that property as
0: well. All right. So I know for, I think for both those house stacks, we've done podcasts on there. So uh, we should put links in the show notes. If you guys want the exact details on there and more story behind them, go check it out. But great overview. So, I mean, you're sitting on, I mean, geez, $300,000 in total equity, congratulations. Um, um, what, 1,000 plus a month cash flow together yeah. on average? Yeah, okay. I, I
1: like to put, with the career transition, I like to be very conservative on how much I hold back and how much I actually yeah. recognize on profit. So, 1,000 bucks, let's just call it that to be
0: easy. Good, so I mean, a very, very solid portfolio with some options and a great foundation. So kind of shifting from a uh, portfolio, let's kind of just um, take a step back and go back to, you know, you and, you know, you and Allison, your, your wife and your partner and all this. Um, what's the, what's the long-term goal? And then let's kind of move back to like lending and some timelines. Long-term goal would be house hack
1: number three around th- in, in about two years and two years, because I just made a career transition from a W-2 job. To working with Envision, and that was that was known. And the great thing about rental property investing is it's a great long-term investment. So, whether you're investing every twelve months or twenty-four months, in my personal, it's a, it's a still a great win-win. Um, so it would be house hacking about two in about two years, and then living it for a little like two plus years because we have a family and we have a great portfolio and we'll we'll kind of reevaluate as we go there, then maybe
0: let's say five, six years, we'll go to house hack number four. All right, Which, so you're on about a two year trajectory for Nomad, you know, yeah. Nomad slash house hack. Correct. Um, and <clears throat> so something to talk about as well on the, uh, the finance, you mentioned like you were very heads up thinking and being aware of that, hey, you're going from a W-2 to a 1099 mm-hmm. in different career fields. So that you know kind of starts you at zero again at yeah. many lenders' perspectives. Um, but jumping forward, because we'll come back to this, um, because that, it sounds like that works for your family. And mm-hmm. realistically, you'll probably be two years out to get like a, a solid yeah. solid loan so you can show those uh, two years of good income statements. Now, with this said, if you are two years out, your cash flow and equity is only going to increase by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you may be sitting on, geez, $400,000 in equity by then, maybe even more than that. Like, yep. and you start getting some really crazy numbers here. And <coughs> I know this is hard to look at two years in advance. But we'll do the best we can here. Your three main options are save, the down payment. And I think we were estimating, what, like $45,000 or so for all in on your next house act
1: That I'm anticipating for all in cash invested into my next house. hack, about forty
0: five thousand. Okay, about forty five thousand bucks. Because uh, this will be your, I mean, fourth rental property. So you know, first time homebuyer programs, grant programs are probably going to be out of there. So we're assuming a five percent down conventional loan, right? Yeah. Correct. So five percent down the purchase price plus some closing costs. There's always a few bucks to help the property get going. Um, now comes down to the question, and this would be fun debating you, Jenny. As, <laughs> as best you can with your voice. Um, do you save? Do you tap into your Roth or do you tap into your equity? Um, you want to start, Joni? No, you go for it. Okay. yeah. Um, so I'm a big fan of like, you know, you're at the point as you start getting properties, like you have equity. And that is, in my view, equity is untapped money in your real estate piggy bank. And so I would always personally rather use that over cash to go out there and buy a property. <clears throat> just because there's you know there's opportunity cost with cash, cash is liquid and you know reinvesting equity. I mean, we've talked about this, we've talked about this on podcasts in the past say so your, your equity as your equity grows, your return actually starts dropping because you have so much money in your real estate piggy bank. So to keep those high double digit returns that we like to see in real estate, we have to keep your equity working for you. So I lean towards using equity over cash, um, especially since you have so much of it. Um I would put equity first on there to tap into. Um, and we can go through some scenarios on there because you could go through like, I mean, on your house act number one, I mean, you could probably do a cash out refi, but you will then do like an investment loan and lose probably a good down payment or a good interest rate on there. But you have so much equity, you might be able to throw a HELOC on there, even as an investment property, and pull out some money on
1: there. Both of the, are you saying combined? No, I would do one or the one, other. One, okay, that's, that, see, I'm just, this is not my expertise. That's why I'm reaching out yeah. to the experts here and I have to ask the questions. So,
2: yeah, I was just going to say for an investment property HELOC, typically the loan to value is not as beneficial if, if it was your primary home, but it's still definitely worth tapping into, especially if you have a really good loan on your property right now. And if you were to cash out refinance it into that investment. 30-year fixed loan, and you'd kind of lose some of the benefits, you know, loan-to-value and interest rate in that case. Um, so a HELOC would be, a, an investment HELOC would be an interesting approach um, to, to speaking with a banker mm-hmm. on that, I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I, when I, because I looked at HELOCs earlier this year, <laughs> um, I think I, a lot of banks don't do investment property HELOCs. The best quote I got was like a 70% LTV for a HELOC on there. Cash out refi is gonna be like a 75%. Um, but, you know, that resets your term, your monthly payment on there as well. Um, so the other thing, too, looking forward in two years, your Wheat Ridge House Act, which I know this was a new build complex, and you're one that I think the first ones to buy in there looking at how what other new builds are going for. You're sitting on a lot of equity, and you'll continue to grow in equity. Yep. So you could look at a cash out refi to go get a lot more cash out of your potential around a house act. But you also might be able to do a HELOC on your current Wheat Ridge property as a primary. So this is your primary. Yep. Uh, and I mean banks will go up to ninety to 95% LTV on HELOCs. So even if you have still 80% loan to value on your on your purchase price based on your loan and what's depreciated, you might be able to get 10 to 15% more equity off that. Okay. And it'll be higher leverage, but you're gonna be, you know, when I got quotes like those type of primary personal locks for like high threes percent investments for like in the five percent helocs so you'll get a better LTV and a better interest rate as well
1: so how does that look because right now i'm living in it and i'm getting a primary residence you said um heloc right and then i go and i move out and now that's not my primary residence anymore i move into another one does a lender not care about that?
0: Am I so, understanding that correctly? Um, no, because you're, you're telling them, hey, right now it's my primary residence. Right now, correct. And that's what they, you know, that. and for HELOCs, it's totally different rules and like, okay. there's no one year requirement commitments that, that I've seen. I would okay. double check that, but I've not seen that for HELOCs. Yeah. Have you? No. Um. So you would have, say, hey, it's my primary residence. And then what you can do is you can draw the money out of that HELOC, put into your checking account, and then use that for your down payment on house like number three. Okay. Um, Now, what you want to do there is talk with, you know, not the HELOC banker, but the lender doing your loan on house act number three to say, hey, if I make this and I pull this money out, um, that is going to raise your debt. And that may have an impact on your debt to income ratio, which may have an impact on you qualifying (laughs) for the loan. So there's a little bit of a chess game here to like tease out. Um, That's something you want to talk about. Hey, if it lines up, awesome. That can be an amazing way to do it. Um, so I would look at like HELOCs or cash out refis, um, and kind of depending on the time, again, we're in forecasting out here in the future, you know, your property will change, interest rates will change, the market will change. But like in today's environment, that's what I would like. That's where my gut goes to.
1: So your gut goes to, um, capitalizing on
0: equity and
1: (laughs) rental properties.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now to kind of go down the next route, um, you know, I could make the case that, hey, in another year or two, you're about a house hack. It might make the most mess to sell. To sell, um, to sell w- which one? You're about a one. It depends. You have to run the numbers, but with how much appreciation you've gotten on there. Um, again, it comes down to numbers and how the cor- current performance of it is. I could, I'm saying it's good to look at the spreadsheet because um, sometimes the is hey, to maximize return. You do sell and reposition it. But yeah. I don't think you're, I don't think that's, what do you want to do,
1: um, no, based but- on your facial
0: expression? <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you're watching the video, you, yeah. uh, the picture tells it all. Is that how so, you play poker? Yeah, that's why I don't play poker. That's why I was terrible at poker in high school.
0: Um, I can see the gears turning up
1: there. <laughs> no, because, okay, so I have my property and I'm selling it. I'm not capitalizing on the 1031 exchange because I'm not transitioning that into an investment property. I'm trans- And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm transitioning it into a primary residence so
0: now I'm taking the um, the hit on on the <laughs> not necessarily okay. It depends on timing because to exclude capital gains, you have to live in the property two out of five two out of the last five years. Last okay, five
1: years, yeah. um, which is a negative. Okay, which, so which I haven't. I lived in there two one and a half years. Oh, okay, okay. Well, and that's off the table then. Yes.
2: Well, um, can I just throw yeah. something out there? So if you're sitting on one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars worth of equity, like just spitballing here, you could take that. And then 1031 it into a, a fourplex in Colorado Springs. Okay. So now you're taking one unit or, you know, two units, because that's your mother-in-law, one, Yeah. Um, and then putting it into four doors now. So as a straight investment property, like it doesn't necessarily have to be house hack to house hack or former house hack to, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. So one of my big things is I like to focus on one thing that I'm good at and stick to it. And what I'm good at is house hacking. Would I was would I be trained now? Now I'm trying, now I'm, am I chasing a shiny object by, hey, I no. have
0: them. A... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, because, I mean, <laughs> you're right. You're good at house hacking. Like House yes. hacking is your bread and butter for um, acquiring properties at a very low down payment, reducing your living expenses, and getting your foot in the door on there. But as this property appreciates, Wheatwood appreciates, house number three appreciates, you fast for a couple years, you're going to be selling on $500,000 worth of equity. You have turned that house hack, low down payment, sweat equity into probably a half million dollar portfolio in equity, half million equity portfolio in a couple years. years. Um, you could keep house hacking, but you know most people can only house hack a nomad so, many, so long until mm-hmm. they get fatigued, they want to settle down. Um, secondly, it gets to the point where it's just like, it is such a huge amount of your net worth that is not being positioned well and you're making... 8%, 10% of that money, re-leverage up and go buy bigger properties, which are still rental properties, you're just acquiring in a different yep. way. So it kind of comes down to, it is a mindset shift, there are risks involved, but it has an amazing way to trade up. I mean, I, I use example time, like, you know, I bought my first house back yeah. in 2011 or whatever. Eight years later, I sold it, 1031 it, and bought a fourplex. Okay. Same thing that Jenny is recommending, except yours is gonna take okay. half the time I did. For the yeah, equity.
2: Yeah. Build. And you know, you put what five percent down on that house, I probably. Did. So you just leveraged, you know, five percent, whatever you, you know, I don't know what you purchased it for, but five percent down for that. And now you might be sitting on like a seven hundred thousand dollar asset after that. Like that's pretty amazing.
1: That's that's the great thing because I never I always I my mind I had a narrow I, for the most part my narrow mindset on just Omaha property. What am I gonna do with my Omaha property? But I didn't think about the, my Arvada house hack on capitalizing on that large amount of equity that I that I'm sitting on.
0: Mm-hmm. Now I know we're kind of like, and again, this is just how these you know <laughs> portfolio reviews right, yeah. go. It's just kind of like you just starts, oh, you can do this, you could do this, you can do this. But this is this is what we need to talk about to understand. Absolutely. Hey, which door do you want to go through? Um, and from a pure return standpoint, it's going to be tapping your equity. That's what the spreadsheet always says. Either through a cash out refi or a sell and trade up, um, your equities always gonna give you the highest return. I okay. say highest, just always, you know, vast majority of time. Um, but then, yeah, looping back to Omaha because I know that was actually kind of the the big property we want to talk about. And we've not mentioned it yet.
1: Yeah, that's just a friction point because it's it's an out of state rental. I'm the property management. It's not making me money on a spreadsheet standpoint, but it's making me money through equity and. Just look, just how to eliminate that friction from my life so I can, I can focus on other things and, um, capital, making that money work for me as hard as it can into something else, into a market I'm
0: more familiar with. And that's what. And so, and I, and I definitely want to talk about that. I just want to start with those Denver properties because you said something on there too is like, it's a friction point. Yes. Uh, it's out of state. Um, And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with like, hey, you sell the rental properties that are just like, hey, this is, it's the dog of my portfolio. And that's just a natural, you gotta gotta call the herd, right? Hey, this, for whatever variety of factors, the main one probably don't live there anymore. It's just, it's a pain in the butt. Um, So that I would definitely look at probably selling in 1031A with their friction point. Like line things up timeline-wise, tenant-wise, so tenants are out there because you want to sell that property vacant, updated remodeled to an owner-occupant, at least in the current market conditions, that's going to get you top dollar. Uh, I'm assuming Omaha is going to be similar. And then 1031 that into a rental property. Okay. I will not take the tax it for your house act because you're not going to be paying the tax it. You'll be paying also depreciation or capture if you've taken depreciation write-offs. And I don't know the exact percent on there, but it adds up on paying back a property, right, Jenny? Yeah. What's the rates like?
2: It's 25% on depreciation or capture.
0: Okay. Um, So, I mean, before you ever sell a property, like anywhere close to selling a a rental property, talk to your CPA and have them, like, you know, run some scenarios for you. Um, But that, I don't see that being a good use for your House Act property. Because if that equity, you probably don't have enough to, like, really pull out any significant amount of cash, if any, based on just loan to value ratios because You'll be at the 70-75% LTV out there, just like you are in Denver. That's a pretty standard lending rule. So pulling an equity under there for a house hack from like a cash out refi is gonna be very tough. Um selling it, not doing 1031 to then pay a bunch of taxes. Mm-hmm. Why pay tax when you have to? Hold on to that, and as timing lines up, your you know, your lent, your your lending and your career gets on the next level, I would then 1031 somewhere else into like you know, somewhere where you live and you know, I'm assuming. Your guys' plans are are Denver for longer, right? Yeah, do it somewhere here. Okay. So what I'm getting from you is the best leverage
1: is equity. With it, so with a 1031, if is there any option I have with combining the equity of Omaha Randall and House Hack Number One into oh, yeah. a multi-unit in Colorado Springs?
2: <clears throat> yes, but it will be very difficult to time it.
0: Yeah, because they you can sell them both. But then the 1031 rules, you have to sell, identify in 45 days, and close. So you have to line them up so they're both hopefully selling around the same time. Um, And then they sell and you take the money and roll in the same property. So it's just more stars to line up. Um, So the more properties involved in 1031, just the more complicated it gets. Because what happens, hey, great, they're both under contract, they're both doing well. And then on your Avada property, the buyer whatever reason, their loan falls out five days before closing. Well, something, something, something. What <laughs> Some, do you do? Something yeah. is going something to go wrong. Something a word. <laughs> That's what you'll be going, saying. It,
1: it is going to go wrong. What yeah. about a reverse 1031 exchange?
2: That's can be cost prohibitive, depending on how much okay. gain you're actually working with here. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the QIs, they're very helpful in helping you figure out, hey, is it worth doing this method or... Or not.
1: What do you mean, QI?
2: So qualified intermediary is who you have to work with. When for you 1031. You're, for a 1031. Okay. Yep. That's you you may that. not touch the sales proceeds or else it's going to get taxed. So the it's QI. It's in their bank account. Yeah. They, yeah, they have trust an escrow account. account. Yep. Okay. Exactly. So, and they're, and because they're facilitating the exchange, you know, that's who you're paying to, to do that. So if you're going to do a reverse 1031, the QI is who you are paying to facilitate that okay, exchange that's as well. really good to know. Yeah, so speak with them.
0: <laughs> and the other thing too, aside from the, it does cost more money, like usually like five times the amount of a regular 1031, as a ballpark I've gathered. Okay. Um, You also have to figure out how are you, what money are you gonna use to purchase the next property? Because that money has to come from somewhere. You probably don't have $300,000 cash put down on a property, so then you're no. gonna borrow it from, uh, you know, a bank's not gonna give you 100% loan. Some QIs have funding connections. Some people use hard money lenders. You have to, a lot of times, get some type of bridge financing in there to say, hey, great, I got $300,000 here that I'm about to sell, but I need to put $300,000 over here. not going to happen. <laughs> um, there are options out there for my like, third-party lenders, so it's worth talking about. Yeah. Um, but folks, like on of those things, a lot of people talk about it, but very few people do because it just yeah it, it just, it just doesn't seems make like sense, a
2: nightmare. Yeah. I mean, that's, just you know, unless great. you
0: have the very very yeah. big properties, like a different like you know, yeah. we're talking like you know, million dollar plus multifamilies yeah. and bigger properties. Numbers are different, lending is different, options are different. Yeah, um,
2: I mean, to you know, Chris's motto: keep it simple. I mean, I would just do one at a time.
0: Okay. Yep. that's very good. <laughs> yeah. And again, that's as it comes up. Yeah, you always reevaluate, depends on market conditions. Like, again, today's market, a lot more tough. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully, things have cooled off in two years. Um, but I would definitely, like I said, priority one is I would tap in your equity. Um, and I kind of want to loop back and actually talk about the Roth IRA because this is a fascinating debate. <laughs> I, um, as well. Anything else you guys want to talk about on the equity <coughs> side?
1: No, that's v- extremely insightful. That okay. side of it, I've
0: never, I never. Thought about even being in the real estate world. And you know this, Ben. Like, I mean, you know, we do the the portfolio analysis, help people figure out how to optimize equity their portfolio. We would when as time gets so close, we'll run everything through there and you know, put numbers on there and get more detailed. But that's very much like a high level on the and the, the mindset I'd be working towards. Okay. Um
2: yep. and then um, for the pure rental properties that you'd be exchanging into. Um, I know that lending is kind of a sticky subject right now, just with your job change and everything. Um, I know that we were talking about it a little bit earlier this week. Um, but you know, there are loan options that I think are worth exploring and you can kind of figure out like opportunity costs, um, in, in that case. So like non-QM loans, um, which, which goes based off of the, the asset performance um, it's going to be less favorable terms, maybe like lower amortization schedule or, or higher interest rate. But, you know, if you want to kind of lock into prices that I assume are going to keep rising over the next two years, um, that might be worth considering. And then you could always refinance it once you, uh, get your, you know, um, job history. Uh, yeah. That's in place. a great point as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I love the idea too. Cause again, it just comes down to you know, you said writing the <clears> trends, <throat> identifying it. Because, I mean, I've never done it personally. I'm on emails. I've looked at them, We've had a few clients to them. I mean, a lot of times they're in like that 5 to 7% range in interest rate. In interest rate. Mm-hmm. And then they usually like a three to seven year arm. So it'll be amortized over 25 or 30 years. But then you have an adjustable rate mortgage, you know, that resets after five years. And so most people, they plan on selling or refinancing before that fixed interest rate term comes up. So it's exactly what journey with the play would be like, hey, does it make sense for me to take out a higher interest rate loan to go out here and do this? And then, you know, over the next one to two years, as your lending comes up or, you know, uh, you get a a better lending profile, then you can go out there and refinance into a, 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 you know, better interest rate product. There are some risks involved there as well because, hey, if something happens on lending, you yeah. can't do it or interest rates rise dramatically <laughs> or there are risks there as well. But it's yeah. another thing to think about. Yeah, that's a good um, point. Yeah, I personally probably want to do that just because if you keep doing what you're doing, this is like, you know, you're going to have success this way right. to kind of like be be conservative. Yeah, I like keeping
1: it simple and not uh, being too aggressive because it's a long term game I'm playing here that I've that I've learned and. Sometimes the risks aren't aren't worth the yeah. reward and focus on other things.
0: But it's worth looking at or for a lot of you know, <clears> other <throat> listeners out there who are in similar situations. Absolutely. They can be a great, we're like, hey, on the spreadsheet, it's the best thing in the world to do something like that. Because like, hey, I get an asset, yeah, I'm paying a few more dollars in interest right now, but in the long run, it's a, it's actually a really good wealth builder. Yeah. So there can be situations where it makes a ton of sense because it's basically just a longer term bridge finance.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Roth IRA, um, let's, hear it. let's hear it. Let's, let's so start it. set the, I, and I, you guys can correct me if I'm incorrect on here, but you know, Roth IRAs, they are retirement accounts. Um, and generally speaking, any principal you put in. So if I put $5,000 a year, you know, over five years, and I have $25,000 principal in there, but I have an extra $10,000 in earnings. You're able to withdraw your principal, the money you've put in there. And pay no taxes, no early termination fees, right? Yep. Okay, that's how I understand it too. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. Um, so there are. I have very mixed emotions about that. Um, Let's hear it. So high level again, if equity. I tap on equity first. Okay. The thing about Roth IRAs is, I'm assuming it's tra- tra- kind of a tradi- I shouldn't say a, a standard Roth where it's invested in stocks and bonds. Correct. Um, so you're you know you're getting you know, hey, you're in this year, hey, you're getting the 15%, 10% return, you get getting the average stock market return. So good returns, we know, historically speaking, those returns are nothing like a leveraged real estate return, especially like a leveraged house act return at 5% down. Um. So yes, from a standpoint of your, you would, i must say, you know, you take the $45,000 out of there, um, let's just say 50,000, you need take yeah. 50,000 out of there in principle for down payment, you're making a better return But the other part of me has incredibly hard time of pulling money out of, you know, of a vehicle that it can compound in there tax-free at that point. Um, You've paid taxes going in, and presumably you put money in there when you're at a younger, lower tax bracket rate. So hopefully you're getting, you know, some arbitrage there. I have a very hard time pulling money out of that when you can have that compound tax-free for the rest of your life. Um, but at the same time, get a higher return on real estate. And we can make the same case that hey, if you keep 1031-ing and swapping till you're dropping, um, assuming that there's no huge changes in 1031 rules, um, that you might be able to avoid paying tax on that money as well. Okay. So that that's my mixed emotions, no okay. advice. I'm curious about Jenny, but that's where I am feeling right now.
2: I'm, I'm very torn on this subject. Like emotionally, it just feels like wrong. But math- yes, yes, yes,
1: that's the right word. But ma- wrong, wrong pulling. I want to make sure. Wrong, I'm wrong.
2: pulling it out.
1: Okay, but okay.
2: Mathematically, like, yes, I, I can't help but think it's a good idea. So, like, I-, that's, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, I
1: look on a. You you mentioned spreadsheet. Oh, what does it look like on a spreadsheet? I yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, like. And this is the one thing where my emotions have friction with the spreadsheet. That's
2: what I, I think Do about. Do you buy yeah.
1: rental properties off of emotions?
0: Yeah. Or oh, no, emotions? No, no. Okay. okay. No. <laughs>
2: Yeah. It's just, it's interesting. Cause like what, what's the like average stock market return 7%, 7 to 9% or something. I don't even yeah, know. Historically. Yeah. Historically.
0: Historically. off. Yeah.
2: So just it, say it,
0: 10% it. freezy math.
2: Sure. So, so 10% for that. Um, so you would be, you know, earning 10% on 50 K and then it would compound annually. But if you're able to, to leverage that 50 K into a real estate asset, now you, now you have a, $200,000 asset, assuming. And now that $200,000 asset is going to compound by appreciation alone, not to mention all the other benefits that you might get, mm-hmm. cash flow, depreciation, debt pay down. And if you're constantly re-leveraging that, I'm very curious to, to see a comparison between the two.
0: If you constantly re-leverage it, I've done these models. Yeah. And I've sat some stuff like Lon and Charles Roberts. Um, if you re-leverage that, you, the returns are way better than the stock market because you're going to stay in that twenty to thirty percent return range a lot of times. Okay. If you're if you're if you're re, you know optimizing your equity every three to five years, you're pulling it out, selling and trading up. You have to use your equity because the thing here is the stock market. I'm assuming you know most people have their dividends just automatically reinvest. It's just automatic, hundred yeah. percent autopilot, which that's something I really like about stock markets. It just I look at my accounts like twice a year. Um but real estate we don't automatically reinvest. Cause we have to take the cash flow, okay, which kind of like our dividends, um, and reinvest that. And you can't reinvest 200 dollars a month in cash flow into real estate property. So it has to sit there for a while until you can get a lot more money or combine with something else. Um and the same with equity. You have to reinvest your equity to keep those high returns. Otherwise, long term it's really fascinating. Um, that if you as you know, you get into like you know, I say like year 15 or year 10, year 15 plus, plus. Um, and no one quote me on this exact data, but a lot of times as real estate gets less and less leveraged and close to like close to paid off, um, it's very similar returns of stock market mm-hmm. um, in terms of just, again, depends on appreciation. We're talking historic appreciation, not the, the craziness we have now. Yeah, Appreciation runs out one day. Yep. Your debt pay down runs out one day. Like you start losing a lot of benefits <clears throat> um, and your returns actually start getting very compressed close to stock market returns, which begs the question, if you're taking all the risk, I want a better return. Because real, real estate is risk for the stock market. You have to deal with people, you have to deal with crap. Correct. You can get sued. Correct. But you can prevent that. You can mitigate it. Mitigate, okay, that's a, that's a better word. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's and I, a, I think it's- If important. you have a lawyer
0: that can prevent that, let me, let me give me his number. <laughs> <laughs> I think mitigate's a better word.
2: But I think it's also important to point out that Ben is a young guy. Like this would not have time on my side. Yes. This would not work out if you were, you know, 45, 50. I think that's not going to work out because you're in your early 30s. I think that it could go either way, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Yeah. And, or what I could do another is, is take my Roth IRA, buy a house hack, and then my plan with that house hack that I purchased with that Roth IRA do the same strategy that Chris mentioned for my house hack number one, which is put it into a multifamily.
0: So what's interesting, this is what we always, you know, we, I talk about a lot of it's just like, there's like the spreadsheet, then there's a comfort zone emotions. Exactly. Like, you know, it's, it's so interesting. This is just, I'm, I'm highlighting differences here. Like, you know, I talked about selling your, your Avada place one day and your, your eyes got a little big. They're like, yeah, that's not in the plan. Your comfort zone. In the very first place I bought, when I saw numbers, I was like, yeah, sell it SOB. I don't care. So I had no emotional attachment to it. I talk about transferring $10,000 out of my Roth account for some reason, even though a spreadsheet says it makes sense. My stomach gets butterflies. And that might be from, you know, years of programming of never touch your retirement account, but like, it's just interesting how different emotions hit you. And that's something you have to understand at all. of us have to understand that like, okay, this is just some reason it doesn't work well for me, not right or wrong, but identify it. Like yeah yeah and going back to my
1: main reason is I want to make every dollar work for me as hard as I can and maybe that's maybe looking on a short term scale but I look hey uh, Roth IRA eight ten percent returns house hack twenty five percent
0: return oh more than that with the leverage you get
1: Lever- yeah well the on the on the on the four quadrant scale yeah but just in in general I remember hearing twenty five percent return that's that was my that was my Looking at yeah. a number spreadsheet perspective of hey let's let's leverage it because, and here's another kick one one last thing here's another kick too it's it's being at with a financial advisor so now I'm paying for that financial advisor to manage my money which I could <laughs> just put it into an S and P five hundred.
0: Do you have your Roth with a financial advisor?
1: Yeah. I did that like bef- don't don't judge me on this I would not but I
0: I would I would make the move to like
1: yeah, an S&P 500 index fund. Yes, this was before I all, all yeah. I knew is
0: I had my like, expenses cuz that low. right there will save you money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you know once okay. you get into like private wealth status, yeah, get get a hedge fund manager for your empire, yeah. you know, a, a couple yeah. decades down the road But right now. Yeah. Low cost index fund. Manager.
1: Okay. That's 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 excellent. Oh, that cursed me, Ben. <laughs> Uh, it is, you know what, that was a different time in my life. And I, and like you said, I looked at it and even thought about it two times a year. And this was 2015, 2014 when I started on it.
0: So from your, so here you're right about your thinking. Like, Hey, the spreadsheet says to you, to repurpose the Roth IRA <laughs> funds, like, I'm not running a model on there, but I'm guessing that's. I think that spreadsheet would say that. That Mm -hmm. kind of your my mental math says.
2: That's my rough. Assuming you're
0: you're you're constantly repositioning the equity in your house act, or you're yeah. Once you get the money out of the real estate, you have to keep reinvesting it. Like when so every five years you're repurposing the equity, but then taking one step further back from that, you have two sources of capital: your Roth IRA and your equity. Taking money of your of your equity has less opportunity cost in my mind than your Roth IRA because a Roth IRA the money can grow in there tax free still and it's already in there because once you take it out you can't put that fifty thousand back in you can put your what the limit like six thousand or seven thousand a year now um, mm-hmm. you can put that back in there but like once it's out it's out so I would again lean towards equity first because that that has okay. I think less tax consequences. Um, And you know, from a pure opportunity cost, if I have to draw fifty thousand from one, I would lean towards equity of a Roth IRA.
2: Hmm.
0: How much, Jenny?
2: I don't know. It's just I think it's just a fascinating concept. You know, it's like Ben and I mentioned. You know, uh, probably when we were chatting before, it's just there's just like that little thing in your brain being like, but you can't. You know, it's it's not right. So it's just it's just a curious concept to.
1: And it's not like we didn't I, we didn't grow up doing this type of thing. We yeah. grew up buy a house, live in it for 30 years, stay at your job, retire. That's that's what we grew up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why it's it's just an interesting topic. Yeah. Um, and to hear two different two different sides of the story.
0: <laughs> the other thing is why I would leave it in the Roth IRA is a Roth continues to stay liquid. Equity in your house is not liquid. And I've always looked at my Roth as like, you know, like a second or third tier savings or, you know, emergency account. The same thing, I can pull up my equity or my equity, I can pull up my principal <coughs> if I need to, to float myself or pay a bill or make sure my house doesn't get foreclosed on or, you know, whatever crazy scenario that I come into where, hey, if you are you lose your job, the economy's crap, you can still pour money out of your Roth IRA for whatever it needs. Your equity, um, it's, Good until the lender says no, you yeah. can only sell equity. And that's that can it. be based on the conditions, that can be based on the market freezing like I did 10 years ago. That can be based on you, I didn't need it, but oh my gosh, I just changed my jobs, so now something tragic happened, I can't get my equity. So that's the thing where I like about staying liquid in the Roth IRA. That's a good
1: that's, that's a, a great, good point. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, a, it's a so you're saying the Roth IRA is another safety net. Yep. And okay. of diver, it's, it's, yeah. of diversifying your portfolio. Yeah,
0: Cause I know you have like your six months in cash yeah. reserves. Yep. And the Roth IRA <S laughs> is kind of like a tier behind that. You know, like, no. oh, we go through that and just say, hey, just everything hits the fan, like economy goes, job goes, yep, um, you know, health issues, whatever happens, like, oh my gosh, that trifecta of just BS happens in life. You can always tap into equity or I'm yeah. sorry, you can always pull out the um, Roth, yep. um, but you can't always tap into equity in your house. That's people great. do have their HELOCs get closed. Yeah. People do have lines of credits get closed. Um, people say, oh, you can no longer get a loan from me anymore. Like there's that reality of it too. No. So keep that like your your yeah. uh, kind of risk mitigation yeah. portion of your mind.
2: That's that's a really good point.
0: Right now, Chris is guess, the debate.
2: But you do have a traditional. <laughs> it says you do have a traditional. I do have my traditional
1: um, IRA as well. I mean
2: that obviously you know could also be a last resort situation as well for emergency funds. Uh, mm. You'd have to pay taxes and and penalty ten percent penalty. What
1: on does it. that look? Like? I, I, what does that look like again? So your traditional Yeah, for for like my traditional It would
2: be 10% portal. penalty and then um you'd have to pay taxes
0: of what the tax rate is at the time you yeah. pull it out. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, so if you're in 20% tax bracket, you pay 20% <clears throat> plus a 10%, plus 10%. penalty. So if you pull out 100,000 bucks, 30,000 goes to Uncle Sam. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: But it is there yep. in the event of an emergency too. So, yeah.
0: In my mind that's the tier after the Roth IRA. That's <laughs> it. I know I, I would have to uh, But where it gets agrees. interesting actually, I thought about this like till totally it go down like off a cliff here with you guys. <laughs> if they ever came in like, oh my gosh, you know, horrible things happened. Our, our in, you know, me and my wife's incomes are close to zero or whatever happens and we're at a, at a near zero tax bracket. I'd probably pull out of a 401k or, Roth, or a traditional IRA before I pull out my Roth. Yeah. Because I'm having less tax burden on there. Oh, that's great. A, I'm in 5% it. tax bracket here plus a 10% uh, early penalty fee. I'll pay 15%. Let my Roth keep growing and you know, hope I can get my tax bracket up to a higher point then. So it gets very like. That's in, I never thought uh, of what your what your
1: current in, is it is Oh, I go down some doomsday snares. Did,
2: <laughs> that,
1: that's what got me. That's what helped me sell, uh, sell, not sell, but uh, convince uh, that that house hacking real estate investing back in 2018 was a great idea for my family. Could because here are the safety nets. Yeah. That we have, and I'm a big planner on the what ifs and being very prepared for that because. It's something will happen. It's just
0: being being ready for it.
2: Yep. Yeah.
0: Cool. <laughs> um, well, I know we're kind of running up against the, um, uh, the end of our, our session here. So, I this was a really great discussion. Any other nuances or questions you guys want to discuss in the the Roth IRA equity? Final talking points, questions on there. Before I ask a final question to you, Ben. Um,
1: you definitely like. I didn't think I'd gain this much value out of out of this this forty five minute conversation we had, and so it definitely has. I know, and I'm I'm surprised because at the end of it, I'm like, you know what, one hundred percent Roth IRA. It just makes sense, and and I still, it's just it's just it's good having that option because I don't need to make that that jump right now or that that uh, decision right now. It's it, I have a couple years to decide and a couple years of of let's see what the market's doing let's see what the market let's see what's going on at the time and and maybe it would be maybe because right now we are we are man- i'm managing um the house hack number one ourselves, but maybe if i put it into a, a multi-unit obviously i'll be put under um property management so then that will be less i'll have to worry about and less work i'll mm-hmm. have to do and that's all these trade-offs
0: that it's it doesn't what, all come yeah. in a spreadsheet. That's it, why I love um, real
2: estate because there's the math portion to it and then there's the personal preference emotion p- portion to it. And nothing nothing is necessarily wrong. That's that's why I like it. Yeah. It just is to that person. Yeah. So.
0: so I've got one more point on your <coughs> thought of. Let's hear it. Another opportunity cost. Um you pull out your, your money from your Roth. Let's say you're you're gonna miss out on just 10% annual returns on the stock market. You're you know, you're pulling out 10%. You borrow the money against your equity on a HELOC right now, you're going to be, say, 4%, probably a little bit lower, say 4%. So you're borrowing costs on those sources of capital. One's 4%, which is all alone, um, if it's a HELOC, or it's 10% and you're using capital. So again, same thing. Do I want to take 50000 from here where I'm going to lose 10% of that return? Or do I want to borrow from here where it's going to be a 3 to 4% opportunity cost?
2: But wouldn't you have to compare that against the opportunity cost of not buying a real estate asset as well
0: uh
2: like appreciation and and all that
0: well i'm saying if you're i'm assuming you're gonna buy the real estate regardless okay. i'm saying the source of, of the capital gotcha. the yeah, yeah. Gotcha. that's gotcha. what i was i mean, maybe my my i don't know if my my logic may not be 100 there um, <laughs> but yeah i'm assuming you're buying the real estate but then to get that fifty thousand dollars. What's the what's the opportunity cost or the capital cost at fifty thousand dollars? Yes, you'll be losing on the tax benefits, no liquidity, or losing liquidity and losing um, a ten percent return for that fifty thousand. Go to your house act, or on your equity in the house, it might be four to five percent borrowing cost. So something else to noodle on. That's good. I feel like I yeah probably confused you more
1: than that. No no no, that. no not not at all. You didn't, but I do know I have some immediate actionable things to do after this podcast, which is why is my Roth IRA being managed by a uh, tax professional Edwards Jones when I can just put it into an S and P 500 and, and cause I mean, they, they'll do just as fine as, as some investor. Will.
0: I think so. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. I mean, I was my degree was in financial planning and that's that was what, reason that why is... I could never like go in the field. I was like, well, I want to put my own money into this. So hard to sell. <laughs> that's why I um, wanted to bring up this topic, too, is yeah. I know your background. I mean, that's why I probably have a lot more emotion around it, too, because it's been so drilled in my head since, <laughs> right. like high school and years. So it's just another interesting thing. Your graduating think. class would, um, would... Yeah. So, okay. to wrap this up, you got your action items. Um, and so I think a really cool thing to do as this progresses, I mean, let's kind of... As we get closer, let's actually do another scenario actually plug it into, like, the spreadsheets, do some return equity analyses... And actually put some numbers on there when it comes time because that's that's what you have to do. And you know, other investors out there, if you guys have questions, scenarios like Ben, um, reach out to me and Jenny. Like, I mean, this is we love helping people work on the strategy on here. We got Chelsea on team Up, help analyze your portfolio as well. So reach out to us. We love having these strategy calls or strategy discussions and uh, showing, hey, here's here's three scenarios, here's four scenarios. Let's walk through and figure out the right move for you. So we really enjoy doing that. So if you have questions or strategy help or portfolio questions, reach out to us. Uh, You guys can find us at denverinvestmentrealestate.com in the show notes. Ben, thank you. Jenny, thank you. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.